0: Good morning. My name is Matt Blazer, and I am a pastor here at Covenant Presbyterian Church. We are doing um, kind of a combo series on 1 Thessalonians and our vision, or our vision utilizing 1 Thessalonians. So I would maybe go 10, 12 verses at a time if I were simply preaching Thessalonians. Instead, I'm taking it chapter by chapter, because in every chapter of the book, probably Paul's first letter, uh, worship Community and faithful presence are uh, spoken about directly and indirectly. They're modeled through Paul's recollection of how he began, helped began, begin that church with Silas and with Timothy. And as I hope you're familiar, it begins with the gospel. So I'm going to read from 1 Thessalonians chapter two. If you have your Bible, you're welcome to follow along. It's kind of in the middle of the New Testament. It's not a long book. Um, Paul had visited them and started the church. Then he uh, traveled. This is The letter's probably no more than three or four months after he had been with them for a few months. Acts 17 records the three Sundays he was in the synagogue, but he was probably there a little bit longer than that. That's Luke's way of telling the story, so we need Paul and Luke. Read the text, Matt. Okay. 1 Thessalonians 2. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi... "'Nor did we seek glory from people, "'whether from you or from others, through we, "'though we could have made them... gosh, oh, <laughs> "'Though we could have made demands "'as apostles of Christ. "'But we were gentle among you, "'like a nursing mother "'taking care of her own children. "'So, being affectionately desirous of you, "'we were ready to share with you "'not only the gospel of God, "'but also our own selves, "'because you had become very dear to us. "'For you remember, brothers... Our labor and toil, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses in God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom, into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same thing from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displease God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us, for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. This is indeed the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. So in looking at worship and community and faithful presence through the lens of First Thessalonians 2... We need to remember that it begins with the gospel. In verse 1 and verse 4, Paul's referencing the gospel. In verse 12, he kind of puts a cap on it. We exhorted you, which means encouraged you. We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. In the Bible, these terms overlap. And they have both a literal and a metaphorical sense. So some of us have to stretch to to follow along with what Paul's saying. For some, it kind of comes easily. I'm probably in the middle, frankly. The kingdom is both a real thing, but also an invisible thing. The kingdom is what we receive when the Holy Spirit pursues us, and we, in faith, trust Jesus. It is something we receive and believe and trust. The gospel is the news that changes everything, the euangelion, the good announcement that, if true, changes everything. It is where where our community begins. Because of the gospel, in light of the gospel. And I, I ask this a lot. And you know what? If every one of you email me how you define the gospel. You don't have to wait this time because this is not a super tense sermon like last week. <laughs> you can do it right now if you want. If you need to multitask during the sermon, that's fine. I never worry when people do that, by the way. If you need to multitask, not multi, you know, you need to have your hands moving, you need to color, take notes, whatever. It's how Presbyterians say amen, some people have said. I ask often how you um, define the gospel. How do you summarize it for yourself? And the main reason is because you need to speak it to yourself all the time. The reason I know that is because it's all throughout the New Testament, both stated and implied. The other reason I know it is I need to remind myself of the gospel all the time. And I used to say the gospel is you're a mess and you're loved and you have a role to play. I read an incredible book uh, a number of years ago by Sinclair Ferguson. I don't remember the title of it. It's not in my notes. I wasn't planning on talking about this. But I changed the way that I preach the gospel to myself because the gospel doesn't begin with sin, You open your Bible to the very beginning and read, it begins with God as an outflow of who he is, creating the world and us, us in his image, out of love. My point, though, is how do you summarize the gospel to yourself? Looking at verse 1 and verse 4 and verse 12, to receive and enjoy the kingdom, we must be able to talk to ourselves about it. So I'll tell you what, I'll take a year off reminding you that you need to know how to summarize it to yourself if all of you email me and tell me how you summarize the gospel. Cool? Because how do you enjoy the kingdom if you don't know how to talk to yourself about it? How can you receive and trust and rest in verse 12 if you don't know mentally and even emotionally how to speak to yourself about it? And our community which is technically what I'm I'm actually meaning to talk with you about, but our community is going to be shallow. shallow. It's not gonna be, our little communities are not gonna be communities of healing and grace and truth if they're not rooted in the gospel. That's why Paul brings it up over and over and over and over and over again, because it's worth talking about over and over and over again so that our hearts receive the peaceful rest of the good news. Paul kind of is defending himself here, and we we really don't know exactly why. We don't know if it's because he's modeling leadership to the Thessalonians or because he was being criticized. So he was with them for probably about two months. Uh, Luke records three Sundays, but he doesn't say he was only there three Sundays. That's just Luke's way of telling the story um, when he's asking these questions. But he's defending himself, and what ends up happening as he defends himself is we see a a delightful, beautiful part of the gospel. Uh, I spoke about this last week in a very different sermon, um, where I was provoked, I think, by the Holy Spirit to preach an entire sermon on what happened two Wednesdays ago. You can go back and listen if you want to, Um, but (laughs) maybe the Statue of Limitations has come and gone for you telling me what you think about the sermon. No, it's fine. You can tell me. In Paul defending himself and his leadership style and the way that he planted the church of Thessalonica, he shows us something that's a really beautiful part of the gospel. When he talks about how he's not doing it from error or impurity, he's not doing it to please men, but to please God. He didn't come with words of flattery. I'm in verse 5 now. As you know, nor with a pretext for greed. So he didn't ask them. And other times he did ask churches to support financially. He did not ask the Thessalonican church to support him financially. And what we learn from this is one of the most powerful individual parts of the gospel, and then one of the things that makes our little communities beautiful when we trust the Holy Spirit, the gospel is the only way that we can be ourselves. The gospel is the only thing that can truly free us from all the many ways we're tempted to put on a false self for others. The good news of Jesus believed, received, and trusted in frees us from our instinct to act in a way that would please others instead of in an authentic way. And the first way the gospel does that is by giving us our true self, giving us a new heart. But then over time as we're grown up, we learn that that's not worshiping God. That's not true friendship, and it's not the best way to be faithfully present in the world, is to pretend we're someone that we're not. When Paul's defending himself here, um, we can notice that the gospel heals us, among other things, from our hypocrisy. Oscar Wilde said, Be yourself, everyone else is taken. I really love the way that's riffed on through memes and gifts, right? It's gifts, not gifs. Gifts, gifs. Thank you. A twelve year old corrected me last time I said gifs. She was very upset. Not my own kid. She said, It's gifts and you'd think I would remember because she knows better than I do, but I forget. Anyway, and if you're listening, you're older now, but I still appreciate it. Uh, It's riffed on all the time, like, be yourself unless you can be Batman. Be yourself unless you can be a unicorn. And I think the reason it's riffed on all the time is we know that we long to be ourselves. And I want you to perhaps go back and read 1 Thessalonians 2 again. And whether Paul's defending himself from critics or pointing out to them his leadership style in helping plant the church in Thessalonica... He's showing indirectly and directly that the gospel frees us into our true selves. Which means it heals us, helps us interpret our past. It means it guides us today, and it has secured our future, which reduces our anxiety about our future. The gospel is something that's followed Look in verse 8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our very, also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. This is a picture and a description of both the planting of the Thessalonican church and Christian community. So if you read Acts 17, you'll get a picture of Paul teaching in the synagogues, but that's probably less than a third of the church because... Um, If you read Paul and Acts side by side, it says also many Greek believers and many uh, successful women business people in Thessalonica. So probably a church of Max 35. They met in the house of a man named Jason. Probably dominated by Gentile believers, which is why Thessalonians doesn't quote the Old Testament a lot, because most of the believers were converts from uh, Gentile Religions, not from the Jewish religion, though there were some Jewish people in there. Paul's describing that during the week, they would do their work together. Mostly Gentile artisans, right? Paul's a tent maker. Some of you know that, some of you don't. And so they would work together, and while they're working together, they would talk about these things, and many of them became followers of God. What God provides in his incredible love to us, he is not only the gospel which meets the dominant need of the human condition, which is loneliness, through a relationship with Christ that reconciles us to God the Father and we receive the Holy Spirit, which is the foundation of the good news with respect to what we receive in it. He also provides us with spiritual family. He also provides us with community. People who get to know our story, and vice versa. People who get to challenge us, and vice versa. People who get to encourage us, and vice versa. I was with two friends on Friday night at a fire pit, because that's pretty much how I'm doing community these days, and one of them gave such an encouraging thank you to the other one for something that happened 10 years ago. And it was a really beautiful story. One of the ways that God provides for us is by giving a spiritual family where we get to encourage one another. Exhort, if you want to use the biblical word. That family includes authority. Paul's not only talking about spiritual community, he's talking about his own and Silas's authority, and uh, probably the reason that Luke doesn't mention that Timothy was with them was because of Luke's understanding of authority, that Timothy was there kind of in a second-tier leadership position after Paul and Silas. I'm referencing Acts 17 and how it overlaps with 1 Thessalonians. Paul's referencing his authority, that he could have asked them for money as the founding pastor and apostle and prophet of the church, prophet, truth speaker, pastor, the one who ministers regularly, apostle as one called to do specific things for the kingdom that aren't always normal pastoring. He could have asked them for money. He's referencing his authority, and authority is a good thing. I don't know how to... (laughs) I don't want to spend too much time explaining this because, uh, well, I have a sermon to preach, and you have lunch to get to eventually, and all the other things in your life, but... Uh, The scripture is very clear that abused authority is an incredible harm, but that authority is a good thing. Paul references his authority through the fact that he didn't ask for money, but he could have. He references his authority when when he regards himself as a spiritual father to them and as a spiritual mother to them, which tells us one of the ways that spiritual authority can be abused. When it's mostly just like a mother, I'm only kind and I don't ever push back on you, I'm stereotyping, but, for the, but I believe this is the point Paul's making. That's not actually kind, to only be sweet all the time. But if I'm only harsh and correcting, if every time we talk I have an encouragement for you, that's often... How I, if I need to push back on you, I often will say, I have an encouragement for you, because I think in truth, when we push back on one another, it's encouragement. But I'm never warm. That's not going to work. Same thing with our elders. Christian community is impossible if we don't know one another's stories. Of course, it's not going to do us any good if we don't also know the Bible. Of course, it's going to be a little more shallow if we never pray together. But the thing that we often do, as the thing that we do at the barn is we find community by serving together, and that's good. I mean, that's in 1 Thessalonians 2. I want to tell you that that's not enough for your heart, but looking at 1 Thessalonians 2, maybe serving together is the most profound Uh, community available to us. Maybe the most, maybe the avenue for you to pursue if you're um, willing is to serve with others around here through uh, build and repair, through a blood drive, through Sunday morning service. Um, Maybe it's outside doing some gardening and I didn't plan to talk about this. I remember when I thought I wanted to say serving together isn't the best kind of community, but I can't say that to you because 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul both models it and reminds them of how important that is. But our community does need to involve one another's stories. I believe our stories are part of um, how the Holy Spirit will draw us together as a spiritual family and sanctify us. Maybe we don't have much to learn from one another's stories, but there is something for us to learn in and through one another's stories and so i want to ask and if you have if you've been at the church less than a year and could grief preaching this in a pandemic is weird but if you've been at the church less than a year um, this may not apply but who knows you here you know if you had to pick someone from covenant presbyterian church to be your in case of emergency call who would it be Just a way of getting at who knows you here. I, um, I really like cigars. Some of you knew that. I, I tried to smoke the Bavarian wine pipe that I talked about last week, but it doesn't actually fit together well, and so it just burned my mouth. Um, not like I was wounded, but like I couldn't taste anything for like 12 hours. I love Charles Spurgeon. He's a Reformed Baptist preacher, 19th century English Um, preacher. It's really fun when you have someone whose theological convictions kind of transcend their denomination, because then everybody tries to claim them as their own. J.I. Packer, C.S. Lewis, Charles Spurgeon, Anglicans, Presbyterians, and Baptists all want to claim all of those guys as their own. Anyway, um, I really like cigars, and a handful of people have been made nervous by my cigar smoking, because I'm a pastor. And I have learned later that that at least some of those people were struggling with their own hypocrisy. Spurgeon was um, criticized for smoking cigars, and this is what he said. When I have found intense pain relieved, a weary brain soothed, and calm, refreshing sleep obtained by a cigar, I have felt grateful to God and have blessed his name. This is what I meant, and by no means did I use sacred words triflingly. If through smoking I had wasted an hour of my time, If I had stinted my gifts to the poor, he started many orphanages. If I had rendered my mind less vigorous, I trust I should see my fault and turn from it. But he who charges me with these things shall have no answer but my forgiveness. (laughs) That's well said. I am told that my open avowal will lessen my influence, and my reply is that if I have gained any influence through being thought different from what I am, I have no wish to retain it. I will do nothing upon the sly and nothing about which I have a doubt. That would be my defense if anyone actually criticized me for smoking. They really don't. Sometimes they look at me funny, and I wonder what they're thinking, you New Englanders, in your hard-to-readness. And the reason that I include that quote is, well, it's brilliantly said. Um, Spurgeon also suffered with uh, depression. My old boss wrote a lovely book about it called Spurgeon's Sorrows, because uh, his critics um, once yelled fire in the middle of a sermon that 25,000 people were attending and many people died. That haunted him and created depression in him. And I'm bringing that up so that perhaps we're more compassionate towards uh, his cigar smoking. Also because it's a terrific book, Virgin Sorrows. The gospel is followed and it's an alternative. It's an alternative community. One of the challenges of... uh, life and especially spiritual communities we all have opinions on all the things and if we don't have one uh, we can probably develop one pretty quickly which makes being an alternative community and flourishing as an alternative community and growing in one challenging paul writes verse 14 15 and 16 because he understands something about uh, jesus and who jesus was and is that we can sometimes miss in verses 14 through 16 have been taken out of context in two ways, so I need to teach on them really briefly. Um, Paul understands profoundly, and if you'd like to study this more, uh, read Romans 11 in conjunction with John chapter 15. Both things that Paul was familiar with. He probably learned John 15 from John. John didn't write his um, gospel for a long time, but he and Paul were friends, and they met in Jerusalem, and Paul studied The gospel is in light of the Old Testament for years before he began his missionary journeys. Paul writes verses 14, 15, and 16 because he understands that now the church, the church that proclaims the name of Jesus, is Israel. And so when he writes verses 14, 15, and 16, he's not saying something anti-Semitic. And he's not saying that uh, the He's not talking about the nation of Israel's role in the end times, though this is an end times statement, verse 14, 15, 16. And the mystery of how God is going to handle, and I'm using Paul's words from Romans 11, the mystery of how God is going to handle the nation of Israel is not what he's talking about, but he is saying indirectly here that the church is Israel. So Romans 11, John 15, if that's challenging to you. The two ways these, this uh, teaching is misunderstood is one, to create anti-Semitism, which is profoundly unchristian. The other way is to believe in some kind of um, religious, political um, marriage that doesn't make a ton of sense. And, and listen, even if Tim LaHaye is right, oh my gosh, this week's sign that the apocalypse is upon us. I'm saying even if Tim LaHaye is right, even if he's right, the church is still the new Israel. He he believes that too. So, Okay, with me? The, and the reason I need to tell you that is he's telling the Thessalonicans that, talking about the Jews who drove him out of Thessalonica, which probably was economically motivated, probably wasn't religiously motivated, because he's reminding them directly and indirectly that they are to be an alternative community to uh, civic religion, to religion, to people that... Um, to the people around them that, are, that have in common the work that the different artisans in the church does, do. And he's reminding them that their persecution that they experienced together is part of how they grew as a family. And uh, for us, that's gonna be our, our common uh, suffering because of the circumstances of the world, Not because, at least today, not because of persecution from the world, but it is one of the ways that we become more comfortable and more um, we become the community that God has designed us to be when we suffer together. And in this way I'm talking about when we, uh, death specifically and the illnesses of our people. Paul was again probably with the Thessalonica church for two to three months. Um, I'm guessing from the scholarship I've read that there were between five and eight Jewish converts in the Thessalonican church and between 20 and 30 Greek converts, some wealthy, some artisans like Paul, and they were learning from Paul and Silas and a little bit from Timothy, and then, I believe for economic reasons, they were pushed out by a group of Jews, then Jason had to bribe the local officials like the officials made him, that wasn't his desire. And through all this, the Thessalonican church became really a really beautiful community of worship and uh, friendship, spiritual friendship, and eventually a faithful presence to the other artisans, to the other religions in Thessalonica, so in Greece. The gospel is followed and becomes and, and turns us naturally into an alternative community. One of the best descriptions I've ever read of community comes from Carol Mojer, one of our founding members. Uh, thank you to Nancy Lehman, who acts as a uh, de facto story collector and historian for the ch- church. She put this um, in the hallway through a number of uh, photos and articles, and I read it, and then I took a picture of it. And um, This is Carol's description of the early years of Covenant Church. My most distinct recollection of the early Covenant Church was the fun spirit of the people. They were not nearly so formal or staid as other church groups of which I had been a part. And listen, Carol, like Paul, is going to weave together worship and community. She's not going to talk about faithful presence because this is about the forming of the church, but hear her description of the early church and see how important worship and community are and how interdependent they are. My most distinct recollection of the early covenant church was the fun spirit. I read that already. They were a questioning, searching body who really leveled with each other my first knowledge of the phrase in love came after the retreat we had at the heirs home at twin lakes where we hammered out our purpose it seemed that nothing of merit could come out of such arguing and disagreeing but we were a much stronger christ-centered group that came out of that experience because of that molding and melding in love the morning prayer groups were quite meaningful as we really dug for that application to our daily lives the potluck suppers we always seemed to be having recall the bringing of our own utensils i always brought two sets of extras AND YOU MIGHT KNOW THEY WERE ALWAYS NEEDED BY THOSE TWO WHO HAD FORGOTTEN THEIRS. TYPICAL OF LOTS OF CPC LIFE, I FOUND MYSELF VOLUNTARILY SINGING IN A QUARTET WITH ART MILLER, BOB ANDREWS, AND SALLY PORTERFIELD. GREAT FUN. AND I TRUST THE LORD KNEW WE LOVED HIM BY OUR EFFORTS, IF NOT ALWAYS BY OUR PERFORMANCE. THANKSGIVING IN THOSE EARLY YEARS WAS ALWAYS A JOYOUS TIME AS WE RECOUNTED HOW OUR NEEDS HAD BEEN ANSWERED AND HOW WE HAD BEEN BLESSED, BUT I AM MOST THANKFUL for, OF ALL FOR THE FELLOWSHIP WE HAVE FOUND in this church. Friends, that is available to you here through youth ministry if you're uh, under the age of 18, through men's groups, through small groups, which are probably the thing uh, we need the most help in doing, through serving together. Um, And it is good when we open the Bible together and it is also necessary that we learn one another's stories. And we do that with wisdom. We do that with Uh, wise caution, because people are not always or even often trustworthy, but as we get to know one another and hear one another and trust one another, it is part of the offer of the gospel. Right after my sermon last week on Christian nationalism as heresy, I got a text message from a friend asking if we could get coffee, and we set up uh, Friday afternoon, and all week I dreaded the phone call. And if that person's listening, I'm sorry, I should know your heart better than I do, but all week I was dreading the phone call. And you know what he wanted to talk about? Jesus and healing and family and future and a grief that he and I share He didn't want to talk about politics at all. He had one encouragement for me, which was to remember how the enemy longs for us to be divided. It was such an encouraging phone call. My mind was blown by how encouraging it was. And I should know, this is a very encouraging person, but because of my own story, because last week's sermon was very emotional for me, um, and he reminded me through setting up this phone call what the community of Jesus is actually about. The gospel is followed, creates an alternative com- of, and it creates an alternative of worship and community. When you don't worship, do you miss it? Paul so obviously missed the Thessalonians. He has such fondness for them. Um, our session blessed me with a sabbatical a couple of years ago, a uh, year and a half ago, Feels like 16 years ago. Not because I'm tired, but because of all the other things. And uh, I went to church twice during the sabbatical because I missed singing and the sacraments and hearing the word preached. You know what was missing? You. And the experience was maybe half as good. Because, and it, it can be challenging. You know, there, when I'm standing up here preaching and I know like six people who are mad at me, some legitimately, some illegitimately, as so I would esteem it, like that's It's challenging. But that's the alternative community of the gospel that works things out the way that Jesus encouraged us to. I hope that you miss it when you're not able to worship with us. Oh, and Satan is in there. That's fun. Paul said Satan hindered him from coming back to the Thessalonians. So let's brief. But I don't. I, I really uh, prefer not to ignore uh, challenging things that come up in the text. What does it mean that Satan hindered him from seeing the Thessalonians? Uh, let's just let me say a couple things about Satan. Uh, he's real. Uh, former worship leader Um, now his chief goal is to get you to do anything but worship god Uh, his chief belief the thing he would long for you to believe is that god is not for you that's what he convinced eve of and therein is the fall and he doesn't have one watt of power or influence more than god allows him to have for me, the most helpful text I've ever read on how uh, Satan and his minions work is the screw Tape Letters. It's a fictional account. Um, they're English demons, so I don't think demons are English, just FYI. But most helpful book I've ever uh, read on how it, how it might work. So Paul, something circumstantially happened. We don't know what. Paul was unable to go to the Thessalonican church and probably through conversation in spiritual community determined that that was Satan's end. So that's the Satan reference there at the end. And then he says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Friends, you are created gloriously in the image of God. But initially, you're a broken vessel until the Holy Spirit pursues you and gives you a new heart. And now you are a being that if we could see you in the kingdom, we would be tempted to worship. The Weight of Glory by C.S. Lewis explains this incredibly. I probably highlighted more of the shorter version of that book than I didn't. You are now a glorious being because of the Holy Spirit in you. What does that have to do with community? We need you. This little gathering of Christ followers needs your gifts and circumstances, affections, and stories. God has given us one another for his glory in worship, for our sanctification in our smaller communities, and then to go out into the world and faithfully serve him. Community is essential to your worship of God, to your own growth as a follower of Jesus, and to your faithful presence as a support to it. We need one another's stories. How do I get them? You're going to have to wade through all the imperfections of this <laughs> medium-sized church to find good community, but it's worth it, and I know you can do it. Do you pray with me? Father in heaven, we praise and thank you that your Holy Spirit is in us and has is sanctifying and has glorified our true self in your image. We ask, Lord, that you would fill us with both wisdom and your Holy Spirit as we seek to do life with one another in worship, community, and faithful presence. Amen.